Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, the Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! So welcome to episode 104 of the Average Cheese Podcast. I'm Dale Lowell. Peter Jones is here with me tonight. Todd is, again, being a good father. So salute to you, Todd, for doing that, being with your kids. I texted him today, Peter. I'm like, man, you got to take advantage of all these opportunities with your kids. Now they're grown folks, at least on my end. And it's like, damn, they don't ever want to be home. <laughs> know what that says about their dad. My daughter came home from college yesterday, though. And the boys coming home today, so I'm very excited about that. Yeah, how are you? Good, and I guess that while I remember, I should wish everybody happy Thanksgiving. It's that week, and, yeah, because uh, I'll probably forget as the show goes on. Thank you for bringing that <laughs> up. <laughs> but yeah, so happy Thanksgiving to everybody, and yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks. Yeah, and I'm thankful for everybody. I'm thankful for you, Peter. I know I say that all the time, but it is absolutely true. Thankful that uh, my friend Todd and I can have these conversations that we've been having for years and years and then put them out into the air and hopefully someone enjoys them. We're both thankful for all the people that, you know, contact us and communicate with us. I know that, that you feel the same. So let's just go on with the show. I would just like to add to that. Yeah, obviously totally hundred percent agree with that. And one of the things I've always said, especially about being a Packers fan is it's the friendships and relationships that you build over years and years that just make it extra special. So thank you to everybody. Absolutely. Some quick slices. The average cheese pick them. Peter, you're back on top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 99 <laughs> wins. You and I'm guessing it's DM Reese is 99. Andy from NFL Data at 97. And do your rant, 97. So still a close race. Anything could happen. We're in week, what, 11, I think, of the NFL season. So there's a lot, a lot of game left here. At this point, it looks like, Peter, you're going to get a T-shirt. So congratulations to you. Aiden Hutchinson was nominated for Rookie of the Week for the third time. I think I picked him as my Rookie of the Year way back in the day. Uh, Chris Olave had played well, if we're talking yeah. about rookies, but he got hurt. Any other rookies stick out to you? I know I just dropped that on you, but your guy, Marcus Chris Jones, is he a rookie? That was always a no-brainer call for me. That a guy that you could pick up in the third, fourth, fifth round, that kind of kind of area, with his return skills, was just that was always a, a no-brainer. And yeah, won the game for the Patriots against the Jets this past week, and I think he would have done a job. Would have done it. I'd like to have seen the Packers take him. I know, as I said at the time, you know he's five for eight, so doesn't pick. You know, doesn't meet the Packers kind of requirements for a corner from, from that perspective for playing on defense, but. You know, special teams needs absolutely would have would have done the Packers a, a very good service. In the Dale jumps into a cold body of water challenge from the average cheese pick'em. That's absolutely happening. I'm in like 99th place in the average cheese pick'em, so <laughs> I'll be jumping in. <laughs> and the last slice, we started the shoe raffle. 
So if you are, I know you follow us on Twitter. If you are listening to us right now, uh, thanks to all the people that retweeted that today. I think like 3000 people saw that tweet. So that's awesome. Hopefully people will start buying those $5 online raffle tickets. Uh, it will go for, I think it will go until Christmas day. And I'll announce the winner on Christmas day or the day after on boxing day. And, <laughs> On our Christmas Day special show, is that what you're saying? Sure. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> so, yeah, so hopefully folks will get involved with that. Of course, every cent that we get from that raffle will go to Veterans Outreach of Wisconsin. Please do that. If you got a $5 in your pocket that's burning a hole in it, you know, go go put it on the online raffle for the average cheese. I promise we're not going to spam you with emails. I know that, like, a lot of people – We'll put in for stuff and then they get 18,000 emails from the entity that does that. We're not fucking doing that. I'm too lazy to put out that many emails anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're all good. You'll be fine. <laughs> so episode 104, Peter, who is it this week? So the, the number four in, in Packers history, Brett Favre. But I don't think that there's much that we can say about Brett Favre that everybody listening to this doesn't already know, hasn't been written 10,000 times, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought it was better to try and look at another number four in Packers history, and there haven't been that many. In fact, bizarrely enough, there have been four other number fours in Packer history. If you'll forgive us not talking about Brett Favre on this occasion, then we'll pick out one one of the other guys. So the four others are, are Vern Llewellyn, who ought to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, in, in my view, played for the Packers in the 20s and 30s. Although he wore number four a couple of seasons, that wasn't his primary number. So I think we'll talk about Vern when we get into future episodes. There was Chuck Fasina, who was a backup quarterback to Randy Wright in 1986, saw limited playing time that year, came from the USFL to the Packers. A kicker, Dale Dawson, in 1988. You and I talked about, in our very first conversation, we talked about Packers kickers. We talked about a year in which the Packers had like four or five kickers, and that was the year, 1988. Dale Dawson was one of those guys. But the number four that I'm going to talk about briefly is a guy by the name of Herm Schneidman, who wore number four for the Packers from 35 to 37, played another couple of years with the Packers wearing a different number and finished his career with the Cardinals. Don't go looking for him in, in stats. You won't see a lot of stats around for Herm. He was a, he was a blocking back, so kind of like the John Coon of his day, if you like, got the occasional carry of the football but was an outstanding blocking back in his in his day and also played in the defensive backfield, played defensive end, played linebacker, played in, like I say, in the defensive backfield, so a two-way guy. And, of course, played on the 36 team, which won the NFL championship, played very sparingly on the 39 team that also won the NFL championship. So as a guy that's, you know, contributed to two Packers NFL titles, yeah, it's kind of one of those guys from the two-way era who easily gets overlooked but lived well into the into the 2000s and at the point that he passed away I don't know the exact year I don't have it in front of me was believed to be the oldest living packer at that time so I mm. think he was like 95 years old at the time just one of those guys that always been around the packer organization would would go back for packer reunions and that stuff of of Lambo's teams a different guy that to talk about wearing that that number four Herm oh. Schneidman Awesome. It's the episode 104, not Brett Favre episode, because fuck that guy. I didn't cuss enough in this episode, Peter, so I got to throw some quarters in the jar. Thank you for Herm Schneidman and Dale Dawson, who clearly sucked, because 
I mean, his name is Dale. And I don't remember him at all <laughs> from that time. I'm, try- I'm trying to think because he kicked in that year in 88. There was another guy, Double D, um, Dean Dorsey, who also kicked for the Packers that year. And I can't remember who the other two kickers were that the Packers had in 88. Uh, maybe I want to say Max Zendejas. My memory fails me on who the fourth one was, but yeah. I do remember Chuck Fusina. I think he played for the Philadelphia Stars in the USFL. That's not mistaken. And he played at Penn State. I'm not sure about that, but I do remember Chuck Fusina. I do not remember him as a Packer at right. all, <laughs> but I do remember him playing in the USFL. Well, you know, it's it's funny that period that period of time. We tend to forget that guys like Vince Ferragamo was on the Packers roster the year before. You know, made his name with the Rams, a Super Bowl quarterback with the Rams, but ended up his career at the Packers. And guys like Jim Zorn was on that Packers team in 85. And The Packers kept retreading, hoping to retread guys (laughs) that they'd be something, and none of them were. Not one of them. Let's go to questions with friends first before we talk about the game this week. So we have a couple. And, of course, I put this out there last second to give people no time to, you know, put something in there. So thank you to the folks that did. Peter, the first one is for you from Paul. Again, thank you, Paul. We appreciate your weekly questions. Please send them in every week. Has enough been made of the fact that Aaron Rodgers is no longer a good cold-weather quarterback and hasn't been for some time? I'm not sure that enough's been made of the fact that the Packers' record in cold weather games, or at least big cold weather games in recent years, hasn't been as it used to be. You know, we used to have this great thing about home field advantage for the playoffs and all of that kind of thing. And I think that whole thing disappeared with the Michael Vick game, whenever that was, 2002, 2003. And I think that since then, the Packers' cold weather, December, January thing has become a little bit more mythical than real. I think it's not just a Rogers thing. I just I just don't think it's that big an advantage anymore for the for the Packers. I think once that bubble was burst, it's probably been burst for good. And I would argue, I would actually sort of agree. I don't think Aaron Rodgers has ever been a good cold weather quarterback. I mean, if you go back to 2002, he wasn't on the roster. That's the Brett Favre era Packers when they lost to Michael Vick. I am not sure that Aaron Rodgers has ever been a good cold weather quarterback. And this year with his thumb issues. He'd be even worse. Be harder to grip the football in the cold weather. I think he's going to get worse as the season goes on. Andy from NFL Outdated asks, what are the prospects of the Packers re-signing Elton Jenkins? I think there's little doubt that they're going to do what they can to try and re-sign him. They're going to run into salary cap problems. And part of the issue with Jenkins will be whether he wants to be paid as a tackle rather than as a guard. Played let's call it roughly half this season at tackle and the the other few games at guard. If I had to bet on it, my bet would be that they will re-sign him and be able to structure a deal that's cap-friendly, in inverted commas, in the early couple of years. Maybe a similar type deal to the one that Aaron Jones got, where that third year is a huge number that forces a decision to be made before the third year. I would err on the side that the Packers will We'll re-sign him. I'm not overly confident about it. You know, I would put the odds at 55-45, that kind, that kind of number. I have a little less positive <laughs> thinking on that. I think the percentage is closer to 20-25%. I think Elton Jenkins will want tackle money, and I don't think the Packers are willing to pay him tackle money. And I don't think they should give him tackle money. Now, I understand that Elton Jenkins is coming off of a, an injury, and that always hinders guys, and they got to figure it out. But... He's been bad this year. And I think the question comes back to will they rather than 
should they? Or should they versus will they? The Packers have always, certainly in recent years, Ted Thompson and, and, and Guti have always looked at re-signing their own guys before, generally speaking, hitting the free agent market. They've always valued their own guys perhaps even higher than some other teams or other pundits have valued them. And that's kind of where my head is around, do I think they will? Yes, just simply because that they value their guys. Thank you for that question. That's a good one, Andy. The last question is from Do You Rant. Will Matt LaFleur start Jordan Love over Aaron Rodgers once the Packers are officially eliminated from the playoffs? And if not, would that be a sign of no confidence in Love or do you think that Matt LaFleur lacks the balls to do it? I think the answer is no, he will not. Once the Packers are eliminated, unless Aaron Rodgers can somehow fake that thumb injury into being more than it is, I do not think that Love will start a game for the Packers this year. And the reason for that is that, one, I think Aaron Rodgers has very big sway and influence on what happens with this team. And I don't think LaFleur has the balls to use your words to your rant. I don't think LaFleur has the balls to do it, to pull Aaron Rodgers from a game, even though they're out of the playoff race. And honestly, why would you? I mean, what are you doing for Jordan Love other than possibly increasing his trade value? But he's not going to no one's going to give up anything for Jordan Love at this point because he's on his way out the door. Yeah, I think it's a very complex situation. I mean, I, I kind of. Going to the to the back end of that question, I don't think that what they do with Love in the remaining few games of the season or don't do with Love in the remaining is a reflection of how they feel about it. I've seen arguments made that you know the reason that they re-signed Rogers to this deal was that they didn't have any confidence in Love or they lacked the confidence in Love going for. If that was the case, they would have moved him on in the off season when they had the opportunity to do that draft day, whatever it might be cashed in for whatever they could have got, second round, third round pick, whatever it may have been, ability to move up in the first round. I don't think it's a natural conclusion. Rodgers' deal means they don't have confidence in love. I think this is about, it's Aaron Rodgers' team at quarterback as long as he wants to play. Whether that's right or wrong, that is the case. I agree with you. I don't think love will start a game this season unless Rodgers is thumb or he's, he's beat up or, or, or whatever. And I think the Packers are in a difficult situation, let's face it, with, with Rodgers. He's not cuttable. The 99 million dead cap number after this year for being released means that he's not cuttable. Therefore, they actually may need some help, if you will, from Aaron Rodgers after this season to determine where they go with the quarterback position and be able to do that at a cost to the team that doesn't totally destroy the, you know, the, the salary cap structure. Whether they should or shouldn't, I don't think they will play love or start love, as I say, unless there's an injury. I think if we weren't in the salary cap era and we didn't have all of that thing, then I think love probably would play maybe a couple of games towards the end of the year, but, but not now. When the Packers signed Aaron Rodgers to that extension or to his, his most recent contract, I don't think that had anything to do with whether they believe that Jordan Love could play the quarterback position or not. I believe that the front office looked at Aaron Rodgers and said, this guy can win us a Super Bowl. He's already taken us deep into the playoffs. We're going to take another kick at the cat. We're going to make another run at this thing. Plus, we're going to add to our defense and hopefully make that better and see what happens. I, I think it has very, very little to do with Jordan Love. All right, so let's get on to this game. Good and bad, the ugly, like we always do, against the Tennessee Titans, the good on offense, 
Randall Cobb was your <laughs> leading receiver, which might not be a good thing when geriatric Randall Cobb is your leading receiver. Lazard had a ton of targets. It looked like Rodgers was trying to feed him the ball. So there was very balanced on the passing side of things. Like that, I guess that's a positive. We've talked about spreading the ball around. There isn't much positive for me. So that's what I ha- that's the only thing I can come up with is Randall Cobb had a very nice game for his age and they spread the ball around. The end. That's all I got. <laughs> the only other name I'd throw into that, and I totally agree, particularly about Randall Cobb. It was good to see him back, his first game back from the injury. And I guess you'd throw in another two touchdown receptions for Christian Watson. So five over the last two games. But yeah, other than that, very little to get too excited about. So let's move on to the bad. I just don't know what to say anymore about this offense and the lack of getting the ball to your playmakers. Now, what you said before, Christian Watson, I think he's good. I hope he's going to be a playmaker. I shouldn't even say think because it's been a very small sample size for him. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon have proven to do things in this offense over a longer period of time than Christian Watson so why not try to figure things out? Aaron Jones, 12 attempts for 40 yards, running the football. A.J. Dillon, 6 for 13. He had nothing. A.J. Dillon did nothing in this game. But on the pass-catching side of it, A.J. Dillon, one catch for 10 yards. Aaron Jones caught 6 for 20. Yeah, and I think that 6 for 20 really harks back to what you said on last week's pod around so many passes being thrown short just beyond or behind the line of scrimmage, that leaves a heck of a lot of work for those to do. That relies on almost plays to be perfect, wide receivers out there blocking in front of those guys. It relies on that, the timing in particular of those plays to be perfect. And no running game this week. Having had a fantastic look at the running game the week before, it's just it's just very strange. And tight ends, do they couple exist? Of catches, couple of catches for, for Robert Tonyan, but... It's difficult to look at this and <laughs> and I guess that although you know we came into this season with question marks at wide receiver because of Devontae, we all, we all knew that. I don't think any of us foresaw the offence being as... I've used this word a lot about the defence being vanilla, but that's what the offence is as well. And I don't think any of us foresaw that coming into the coming into the season. You know, you know, like I say, we knew we would have some problems, but you know, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. And, and I guess the other thing I'd like to throw into that is, you know, we saw Samari Tori make a couple of big catches two or three weeks ago. And I think he played four snaps this past week. And that kind of stuff just doesn't seem to, doesn't compute, does it? No. And it goes back to what we've said generally about all the coaching, like there's no adjustment. Why didn't Samari Toure get in the game? I, I don't understand why he doesn't play more. I mean, did Samari Toure piss in somebody's Wheaties this weekend? Like, I don't know. I don't know why he didn't get in the game. The other thing on offense before we move on is what you said is 100% correct. We weren't sure about the wide receivers. And in the preseason, we talked about the tight end play, about how we were worried about that too. So when you are relying on your running backs to carry the load not just rushing the football but catching it too you got a problem another comment on what you said expecting the Packers offense this year to be perfect and have guys making blocks and doing those things in the right timing and all that that hasn't happened all season long the offense is out of sync they don't really know where they're supposed to be guys are running wrong routes so to expect everything to be perfect with those young guys is 
I don't know. It's unbelievable to me. And the thing that scares me about this is I don't know that there's an answer, both with personnel and coaching, because what do you have? You want Watson to get better in year two, and he will. You want Toure and Dobbs to get better in year two, and they will. But will they get better enough to move this offense forward? I don't know. It looks pretty bleak. I don't know where the Packers are going to draft, but they're not going to be in the top 10, probably. And then you miss on guys like Alave and so on. Guys that are, I don't want to call them for sure studs. The farther you get down the first round, the less likely you are to get a stud. And, you know, and even if you do pick as high as, let's say, let's say 10, you've got to get the right guy. You know, you cannot fail at that pick. You get a bit of an excuse the further down the draft you get, as you, as you said, you know, you're taking more of a chance. But if you're picking in the top 10, if that happens, they've got to get a guy, whatever position it is. It's got to be a guy that they that they hit on. And a guy, to be honest, who can come in and play and contribute immediately. This isn't a team that any longer can take draft picks and, and have them coming through in their second year. 100% right. The ugly, the whole offense is ugly. The end. Like I, it was bad, bad all the way around. Do you have any ugly other than every, the whole offense is bad? The only specific I would pick out on top of that was the. It may have been the very last drive. I've lost. I've lost track of the game now. But incompletion after incompletion, and then the incompletion to Sammy Watkins over the middle. I think it was the last drive of the game. I I can't remember now where Watkins was wide open over the middle and was missed by what seemed like about ten yards. And I don't know. Certainly for me, the uninitiated, it looked like Rogers threw not the greatest of passes. But who knows? Who knows, perhaps he expected Watkins to do something Watkins didn't do. I'm not going to definitely point the finger one way or the other, but what I will say, it clearly wasn't in sync, whatever it was, and it just it just looked looked bad. Well, he also threw that really bad ball to a wide-open Lazard, too. It's basically the same play. You start to wonder, again, in the cold weather, when things start to go bad, is his thumb going to be a big hindrance to him throwing the football? Defensively, <laughs> good Bad, ugly. So I'll pick out, I mean, a name I mentioned earlier. I thought Chris Barnes had a good game. Active. I think he had 12 total tackles, six solo, six assists, something like that. And probably one of the better games that we've seen Chris Barnes play, you know, through the circumstances of Devondre Campbell being out. Barnes was very active defensively. Preston Smith had a sack and a half. To be honest, when we get on to the bad and the ugly on defense, I think that kind of will sum up why I can't think of too much great to talk about defensively. Yeah, Preston Smith beat up on that tackle a couple of times in this game. And it was nice to see Preston Smith do something for once. I feel like he's been he's been absent from just making big plays. And I get that Rashawn Gary is not on the other side. So now you've got J.J. Anikbare or whoever it is that lined up on the other side. So you're going to catch a couple more double teams than you're used to. You're going to get chipped because you're basically the only pass rusher the Packers have right now. So it's nice to see him make some plays. I will say this. I'm warming up to Quay Walker. If the Packers play him correctly, I think he can be a great player. And what I mean by that is he can run guys down. He is able to read and react plays very well for a young guy. Expecting him to just jump into the hole, he's, he doesn't even want to do it. I thought he played okay. I think he is a versatile dude. He reminds me a lot of Micah Parsons in not only his body and how he moves, but I think he could be that guy if the Packers decided to play him in that sort of role, bringing him on blitzes, having him chase guys down, that kind of thing. 
other than that, Jesus, I don't have, I don't have anything good. They gave up 400 yards for the second week in a row. They could have thrown the ball for 800 yards in this game. 400 yards to the Tennessee Titans. The 27 points, which doesn't sound a huge amount in the NFL, it's the most points the Titans have scored all season in a single game. The 400 plus yards was the most yards the Titans have got in a single game. The number of first downs was the most first downs the Titans have got in a single game. And that kind of kind of sums it up. You know, the Titans are not an offensive juggernaut, but they looked like one last Thursday night. I know I sound like a broken record a lot of times. First of all, Traylon Burks, you still suck. I don't care that you cut that long ball against Jair when no one was paying attention. And it was kind of a dick move by the Titans to do that late. Still sucks. I don't care. He had seven catches for 111 yards. Probably be the best game he ever plays in his career. But they had nobody. What I don't understand is how we can see this. They played well against Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry had like 900 carries for 80 yards. He had 28 carries for 88 yards or 82 yards. I don't have it in front of me. They shut Derrick Henry down. He he had one nice catch where he got out in the open, but that wasn't a run. They stopped the run and they committed to stopping the run. But what are those guys in the defensive backfield doing then against Robert Woods and Traylon Burks and whoever the fuck, you know, Nick Westbrook Akeen is or whoever the hell that is. Well, I'm cussing and I'm not putting them in the jar. There, sorry. (laughs) They don't have anybody that is an elite wide receiver. And you have Jair Alexander across from whoever, don't care who it is, not going to harp on the whole, he should be following their best receiver. But he's following Traylon Burks and getting beat. So he's not playing well either. You should be able to play man-to-man. If you put heavy box against the Titans, you should be able to play man-to-man if you're the Green Bay Packers against the Titans and stop their passing game. And they absolutely couldn't do it. Ryan Tannehill passed for 333 yards. (laughs) That says it all right there. And he was like 25 of 29 or something stupid like that. 22 of 27. (laughs) What? I don't know what that completion percentage is. That's ridiculous numbers for Ryan Tannehill, who has been god-awful pretty much most of the year. And while we're at it, Derrick Henry threw a touchdown pass as well. Yes, he did. Derrick Henry had like 120 (laughs) passer rating against the Green Bay Packers. That was a bizarre play, wasn't it? Like, it looked like, I think it was Dean Lowry was on that end. I think, like, Dean Lowry stopped, like, wait, what are you doing right now? Why are you lifting the ball up above your head? But again, it's, you know, it's one of those things that, very nice play. It's not the type of play that you're going to be able to run every week now that teams have seen it. But when was the last time you saw the Packers come up with a play like that? On an offense that's struggling. Isn't there anybody that can come up with a creative play like that? Where are those plays in the Packers' offense? They tried that against Detroit, and look how that went. (laughs) I don't know. I'm with you. You know I agree with you. You have to try something. It's exactly what I just said five minutes ago. You have to start trying something. And I hear the argument against that that says, well, when you're doing those kinds of things, that shows that you're struggling. But we know that they're struggling struggling. anyway. (laughs) Yeah, we know that they're struggling anyway. And, by the way... Tennessee did it when they weren't struggling. That argument doesn't necessarily stand up. But going back to the point that you've made two or three times on this pod, when you are having difficulties, when things aren't, you have to try something different. Else, if you keep doing what you've always done, we all know what 
how that works out. Yes, the pure definition of insanity, trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And we haven't had a year like this, right? We started this podcast three years ago. We went 13 and three, 13 and three, 13 and four. Everything's everything's been great. And I get that, you know, I'm sure they're frustrated too. They got to play this game every week. I think that it reflects on you as a coach, the head coach and on the staff itself. If you can't figure things out with this team, if you are the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Houston Texans or, I don't know, Team X who doesn't win a lot of games and is developing young talent, hoping to be something down the road, I get that. I understand why you can't do things with those kind of players. But these are veterans. Minus your wide receiver room, these guys have played in the league before. And they've been, some of them, like Devondre Campbell, Razul Douglas, they're guys who've been in different systems. So they're smart enough to pick up things. You have to start trying something different with those guys. And if you don't have the confidence as a coach in those guys, then you need to find new guys. Which the Packers are in no position to do, but that's a story for another day. What else? A result. Douglas made a nice play on that interception. That was a nice play, and it was it was a play that was you know needed at the point in the game that it that it came. Unfortunately, it never turned out to be a yeah it didn't result you know a rallying point, a thing that could have changed the momentum of the game. But it had the potential to do that, and it was a nice play. So we should we should give him some kudos for that. You mentioned Enigbari as well, and, and and we probably should give him a shout out. Hasn't been off the scale, off the charts or whatever else, but so, you've been pretty solid in the last few weeks and gives some reason to to think that he could be a player in the future. Thank you for that. And I totally agree. I was uh, We were texting with our realtor in South Carolina for our house, and I was like, by the way, thanks for JJ Enigbari. I love that guy. <laughs> and Spencer Rattler is a complete dick. But anyway, (laughs) but I think he can play like he reminds me very much of Rashawn Gary in the way he plays. And while I don't know if he'll have the same production as Rashawn Gary, I think he's better against the run right now as a rookie than Rashawn Gary is in his third or fourth year, whatever this is. I think he can develop some pass rush moves. He's going to do that because he's a, a young guy. When you're a young guy with athletic ability like him, you can get by in college just running by guys or blowing over a tackle that's going to be bagging groceries, you know, after he graduates from college. So he's going to have to develop some tricks. And I, if he does that, I think he's going to be a very good player. The special teams. Man, the, the Titans punter, he bombs kicks. Stone, whatever his name, I don't even know, Stonehouse or something like that? I guess the thing that stood out for me on special teams was Mason Crosby was back on kickoffs. That was the immediate thing that stood out for me on on special teams. And it's like, I'm just holding my hands out. I'm doing the visual, doing the visual thing on an audio <laughs> podcast here. I'm just, you know, when I saw dear old Mason come out to, to kick off, I, I, that just did it for me straight away. It was like, why? I thought we'd made the decision the, the week before to go with the, the kid that they activated off the practice squad to, to take kickoffs and now just reverted back. For what reason? I have no idea. Yeah, was he miraculously 100% healthy now after one week of not kicking off? The good on special teams, Pat O'Donnell was pretty good. Average 47 yards per punt. We'll take that. Like, if you can get that every week, I don't know how long Pat O'Donnell's contract is, but I'll take it. If he's the guy going forward and he gives you some consistency, I'll take it. 
You just need him to be not bad. I mean, shit, if we would have had him last year, who knows? Consistent punter and a guy that can hold for kicks. Who knows what would have happened last year? And what do I know? I was the guy saying coming into this season, they won't even need a punter. They'll never punt. (laughs) The offense will be so good, they'll never punt. Yeah, I wish the offense was good enough where they didn't have to punt five times every game, but they seem to keep making that happen. Randall Cobb being back on special teams scares the crap out of me. Don't get him killed back there. That guy's done too much for the franchise to be putting him back on punts. And we thought D.D. Westbrook. I wonder what happened there. I didn't hear anything. Did you? Like, uh, not a thing. I think I'm going to apply for the GM job when Gudikins gets fired. I, just, <laughs> I couldn't do it, but I can't. I don't know. Maybe I could be worse. Who knows? So to add, like, I don't know. I don't want to call it insult to injury. We play another very good team this week in the Philadelphia Eagles, who barely beat the Indianapolis Colts, though. Last, like, minute touchdown by Jalen Hurts. Really yep. weird. And it felt like a weird thing right now. That outstanding former Green Bay Packer, Jeff Saturday's Indianapolis Colts. That's what right. Thank you for correcting me. The Jeff Saturday <laughs> coached. They basically skirted the Rooney rule because they didn't have to do something with an interim guy. What if they hire him as their full-time coach, as their, you know, their head coach for real? They they can do that now. They don't have to go through yeah. the interview process, do they? Why would I, they? I, I, they got a coach. I, I don't know. I think they will anyway. Even if it should. turns out that Saturday gets the job, I think they will anyway. I mean, that was a game I watched quite intently, actually, Sunday evening with no Packers game on, and I was obviously rooting for the Colts, rooting for Jonathan Taylor and those guys of the Colts and hoping that that they would, you know, they led that game for the longest time and hoping that they would hang on. But but those good teams, the good teams find a way to win even when they're not playing at their best, and that's what the Eagles did. The Packers find a way to lose every week. Philadelphia finds a way to win, as they did <laughs> In this in this last game against Indianapolis. So I look at this and I mean, who knows what's going to happen this season? I, from week to week, I can't tell you the, the spread, all those things. I don't get it. When I look at this Eagles roster, especially on offense, I think, man, they should put up more points than they do. And against the Packers. I feel like they could put up 50. I think part of the reason that that perhaps the Eagles don't quite pop as many points is not because the offense isn't good. It's because they like to run the football. Jalen Hurts has been obviously a superb year at quarterback, but they like to run the football. And that takes time off the clock, reduces the number of plays in the game, typically reduces the number of scores in the game. And I think that's who they are. But they are that team knowing that they've got AJ Brown, knowing that they've got Devontae Smith, knowing that they've got Dallas Goddard, they could, they've got Quez Watkins, they've got all of that stuff to fall back on. I mean, I, I just think that we shouldn't be surprised. You know, the Eagles got into the playoffs last year, you know, and there's always one team that kind of does that and then takes a leap the next year. But I don't think anybody was seriously suggesting before the season that the Eagles were going to go to the Super Bowl. Those of us that weren't making that suggestion were clearly wrong because the Eagles certainly have a chance of it. Certainly have a good chance of it, particularly in the NFC, the way the NFC looks right now. I think the Eagles are a good football team, and I think that part of what makes them a good football team is that they're good all round, offensively, defensively, running the ball, passing the ball, stopping the run, stopping the pass, getting turnovers. You know, the kid that they picked up from New Orleans, 
Um, Gardner Johnson's got six interceptions, for goodness sake, just by himself. Darius Slay's got three interceptions. The other starting corner's got three interceptions. You know, so they make big plays as well as doing everything else good that we've talked about. It's just a good football team, good all-round football team. Would you say that those interceptions come off of their defensive line and the pressure they put on quarterbacks? Or is it, I mean, Darius Slay is a good player, but is he that player at this stage of his career? So what what are your thoughts on that? I think you're exactly right. I, I think there's two things. I think it's pressure, but I think it's pressure in terms of pass rush pressure. But I think it's also down and distance pressure that does that. Does that. So even if you don't get the sacks, and they are getting a number of sacks that are being spread around. You know, Reddick's got seven and a half. Hargraves has got seven. Brandon Graham's got four. They've got guys with multiple sacks. They get teams into second and long and third and long situations, force teams into passing situations. Yeah, they've done some great things on that team. You look at the team and I think, gosh, dang, that. I didn't realize how good they were. I didn't realize how good this roster is from on both sides of the ball. And they traded for Robert Quinn and he didn't even start for them. Like, I mean, I know they picked him up because of the injuries that they had on their defensive line prior to getting him. And it was kind of a, I don't know, I don't call him a stop gap, but it was something just in case. And they picked up in Dominican Sue, who I fucking hate. Yep. Yeah. It surprises me that they barely beat Indianapolis. But that's the league right now, yeah. right? There's, I don't even call there's two elite teams because Kansas City doesn't look elite and Buffalo certainly didn't look elite. And then the Vikings went out and got their shit pushed in by Dallas 40 to three or whatever it was. Like, I just look at the league and go, what? What is going on? There's no consistently great team right now. So if you have a team like Philadelphia, who knows? You know, usually I like, who scares you? Oh, Christ, there's like eight guys in this <laughs> roster that scared me. Brandon Graham, A.J. Was- Brown, Devontae Smith, Jalen Hurts because he's got good feet and get out of the pocket a little bit. Miles Sanders isn't bad. You know, and you got those guys you just talked about with 12 interceptions. Shoot, that dude with six interceptions is more than the entire Packer team for the entire season. So yep. <laughs> there are guys that make plays. Oddly enough, Peter, and I know we're not at this point yet, the spread is like seven. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> the Packers were favored last week, which is completely bizarre. And this week, they're only seven point underdogs in a game where I feel like they could lose by twenty. Yeah, it can. It can only be partly influenced by the Eagles struggling to get past the Colts last week. It's the only sure. thing that makes any sense. Yeah, it, you know, it's difficult. And you know, as you were naming those guys about who scares you, it'd be easier. It, it feels like it'd be easier to name the players on their roster that don't scare you. Um, right. And Nicole Dean sure. is on this roster. He hasn't done shit yet. That's great. It's difficult on paper to work out how the Packers can win this game. But as you've said a couple of times on this pod, the NFL's older this year. It means that the old any given Sunday thing really does apply. A couple of bounces of the ball go your way or you jump out to an early lead that changes the way that the game's played out. Fumble here, who know, you know, whatever it whatever it might be. And in a, one of those interceptions that the Eagles has been getting, they drop rather than pick it off. That kind of thing. Who knows? Those are the ways that the Packers can win this game. But on paper, it's just difficult co- to conceive that they will. And this is a late night game in Philadelphia in the cold. Aaron Rodgers got a bad thumb. They can't throw the football very well. Like there just seems like it's a recipe for disaster for the Packers right now. So what do you say the spread was seven? 
The spread was seven when I looked at it about an hour ago. So, yep, the it's spread a, is seven. Over, over under is 46. It's a misprint, right? It's like- <laughs> right. You would think. <laughs> You know, the the line usually rides towards the Packers for whatever reason at the end of the week. Like, they get that half a point back. But as of right now, it's seven. As I said, any given, any given Sunday, any team in the NFL can beat any other team. Can. I don't see Packers winning this game. I just... The Eagles can hurt you in too many ways. And I, I, th- I think the Eagles win this game by a couple of scores. They cover easily. If somebody had said to me the spread was 10 and a half, I wouldn't have been surprised. That's kind of... That feels closer to it. But I think the I think the Eagles will cover that. I think they probably go over the forty six points for both teams as well. I think they go over that. I think it does too. So I think the Packers get blasted in this game. I think they lose by two touchdowns. The Packers will score some garbage time points to put them over the forty six number. I think this game will not be close early, and it'll be one of those where they you know are playing prevent defense in the fourth quarter. I, I say it's 34-20 Philadelphia. That sounds sounds about where my head is. So thanks for listening to episode 104 of the Average Cheese Podcast, the Herm Schneidman episode. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.